how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. Hey, thank you for tuning in. As you probably read in the description, this is a big episode, episode number 250, where I want to celebrate kind of two milestones at the same time. The first, of course, is 250 episodes. I want to say thank you for listening. And then next, I'd like to celebrate the, the new book I have coming out, a nonfiction book about how to become a prolific writer called Ink by the Barrel. I'm going to read a quick teaser, and then we're going to jump right into the introduction and first chapter of the audiobook. What separates the hobbyist writer from the prolific professional? For the first decade of my career, I would describe myself as a hobbyist posing as a professional. Likewise, if you enjoy writing, or even despise it but feel drawn to the page, you probably know the feeling. Incomplete scripts and outlines fill your computer. Notepads of half-written, half-baked ideas fill your desk. Your mind constantly races with what-if ideas when you fall in love with a new genre. Unfortunately, all of these scenarios are nothing more than dreams of the hobbyist. Sure, there's nothing wrong with being a hobbyist. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't really get you anywhere. It's not remarkable. It's not particularly rewarding. It's also not very fulfilling. To move from the amateur to the professional, it's quite a jarring journey because it feels like something is simply missing. What's missing is the mindset within the pages of Ink by the Barrel. If you wish to finish your first fulfilling project, if you wish to become a professional, if you wish to become prolific, then it's time to buy your ink by the barrel. Find out more about the book and everything else I've got working on at writerfieldnotes.com. W-R-I-T-E-R, writerfieldnotes.com. Here's the book. Ink by the Barrel by Brock Swinson. Read by the author. Introduction. I never quarrel with the man who buys his ink by the barrel. Congressman Charles Brownson Does a writer's success come from a game of chance or from a belief in inevitable triumph developed by those who are simply willing to put in the work? Personally, I lean towards the latter, and after you finish the book, I hope you agree. But first, let's discuss rules and exceptions, along with their probabilities. Luck is likely a factor in every endeavor, even if the percentage it represents is less than 1%. Take, for example, those conversations you've had or overheard that ask, what would you do if you won the lottery? A lottery ticket only costs a dollar or so, but you have a chance to win $10 million in return. 
With that lump sum, you could quit your job, tell your boss to shove it, and likely do more than you can even imagine by simply living off the interests of such a large prize. Then there's a scratch-off ticket, which might cost $5 to purchase, but only nets $10,000 or so for the winner. The odds of winning are slightly higher, 1 in 100,000 versus 1 in 292 million. But unless you buy a used car or take a one-week vacation, there's little change to your day-to-day life with the smaller sum. Work would be the same. Your home would be the same. Life would be the same. The problem, of course, is that this mindset is how humans view damn near everything. Our emotions draw us to the first game, even though the second is ten times better, objectively considered, writes author Rolf DeBelli in The Art of Thinking Clearly. The probability in option two is drastically more likely, but the vision of success is drastically smaller, meaning life after the win would only be negligibly different from the life as it was before the win. This is because humans have a neglect of probability mindset that leads to improper decision making, but it's also because few people see what could happen in option two if they simply applied additional work. If you believe writing is a game of chance, you will likely buy the Mega Millions ticket. After all, you have just as good a chance of winning as everyone else. With this mindset, your idea for a story just might be as good as those from Harper Lee or J.D. Salinger. Your next pitch could be as successful as Game of Thrones. You might be the next Christopher Nolan. But if you're serious about writing, you know one idea or one object doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of any career because you need to publish often and write well to get noticed in today's world. Sure, there are exceptions, but we're looking for a clear path to success, not a scratch-off shot in the dark, right? We want to avoid the lottery altogether. We want to know there's something waiting for us on the other side. Yes, there's some luck involved in terms of getting noticed among the noise of the modern attention-seeking world, but it's luck we can actually manufacture. When we focus copiously on a career as a writer, we actually choose a third option as our alternative to luck, inevitable success. This book is about inevitable success. Inevitable success comes from being prolific. The methods in this book encourage readers to put in the work rather than to take individual chances. When you have multiple irons in the fire, all of a sudden your perceived luck snowballs, grows in stature, and becomes utterly unstoppable. Believing in luck for the sake of luck is an irrational, albeit common, response. If you wish to make your own luck, however, then it's time to turn pro, roll up your sleeves, and embrace the daily grind. Leave common thinking in the dust next to those post-scratch lotto tickets. In this book, and hopefully in your newly adopted attitude, embracing the professional mindset doesn't just mean making the decision to push luck aside and become professional. It means being a committed creative, day after day, year after year. It means defending your time, finding your voice, and creating avenues to discover your specific journey as a writer. Let outsiders believe luck is on their side, but know that you create your own luck by devotion to your craft, thus following in the footprints of successful creatives you admire. As Stephen Pressfield writes in his book Turning Pro, to feel ambition and to act upon it is to embrace the unique calling of our soul. Not to act upon that ambition is to turn our backs on ourselves and on the reason for our existence. It's time to take radical responsibility for your future as a writer. It's time to focus on finding your voice and developing your process. It's time to shift your mindset to the path of inevitable success. It's time to deliver consistent, globe-shattering work in the service of others. It's time to buy your ink by the barrel. Part 1. Time. Chapter 1. Defend your time. 
Nothing is worth more than this day. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe A railroad switch, or turnout, is a mechanical installation that enables railway trains to glide from one track to another. The switch consists of linked tapering rails, which offer the option of a straight-through primary track or a diversion secondary track. Metaphorically, let's say the straight-through track does just that. It goes straight through. Meanwhile, the diverging route comes to a momentary halt every 30 to 60 minutes in 24-hour rotations. This is the difference between a maker's schedule and a manager's schedule. The manager's schedule, which makes up most appointment books, is broken up into 30-minute intervals over the course of standard business hours. Grab a coffee? No problem. There's an empty slot for that. Reschedule a meeting or extend it an extra half hour? There's no hard out listed, so sure. A pre-interview interview? Why not? There's nothing else on the schedule. Over time, these so-called openings can take up the bulk of your free time like death from a thousand paper cuts. The maker's schedule, though, which many creatives prefer, disregards these frequent stops, which allow for creatives to put down the clock and pick up the pencil. As programmer Paul Graham writes, for someone on the maker's schedule, having a meeting is like throwing an exception. It doesn't merely cause you to switch from one task to another. It changes the mode in which you work. Essentially, it derails the creative track and stops the writer's journey. It's nearly impossible to be creatively ambitious in one-hour intervals. Like an Olympian training for an event, it takes an hour just to get started. Then, you still have to do the work. In order to truly grow as a creative, you have to make time for the reps. For writers, programmers, and other creatives, it's difficult to balance a maker's schedule in a manager's world, but it's not impossible. More often than not, this simply means saying no to most of these time fillers and working to keep an unscheduled schedule. For me personally, it's about habits, said screenwriter Michael Lannon. I'm a very, very slow writer, and for a long time, I didn't properly schedule a time I needed to write. I needed to learn to shut the world out and make that time. I didn't defend that time. Lannon is best known for creating the HBO series Looking. He also told me, once I learned to block out that time and not look at my emails to turn off my phone and not distract myself by getting a beer with friends, then I could make a lot more progress. Defending this time from obligations with friends and family is the first truly difficult step to becoming a professional writer. You've always answered the call from mom. You've always met with friends after work. But minor progressive steps can occur as quickly as emails and phone calls can be organized, filtered, or sometimes ignored. As novelist Annie Lamott once said, no is a complete sentence. If you can't reduce a cluttered schedule early in your career, the request will only get worse as you gain notoriety and more people begin to request bigger and bigger chunks of your time. Writer Ron Holiday refers to his defense as calendar anorexia. His goal is to have as few obligations as possible listed on the calendar. Holiday, a well-known author and business consultant, even moved from Los Angeles, California to Austin, Texas to make sure professional obligations were minimal. Is that networking dinner party or business grand opening worth booking a flight? Probably not. The same mindset can apply to everything. Whatever the least amount possible I can have in my calendar without killing my career, that's what I want, Holiday writes in an article. To be clear, this isn't some nonsense about not putting things in the calendar like someone who says they're on a diet but eats a lot. This is about committing to and scheduling next to nothing on a daily and weekly basis. Here's a thought catapult to help you get started. Whenever you schedule anything, a phone call, a face-to-face meeting, a lunch date, it's literally giving away pieces of your life. That's what time is, little chunks of your life laid out in 60-second intervals. 
Most people would not purposely give away land or even leave their doors unlocked while running errands. Most people would not give away large sums of money or throw out something that might be monetarily valuable. And yet, we're all expected to give up our free time to anyone who asks, simply because it's the polite thing to do. Time is the one thing we run out of, and the one thing we can somewhat control, or it is at least one thing we can control in terms of how we participate in it. When all of the seconds strip off the clock, though, that's it. So why waste time on trivial things that matter little? Why ignore your writing just to please another manager? What can you make while everyone else manages a schedule? Assuming you prepare your defense with some regularity, another major problem is that individuals believe they can simply find balance. People believe that despite the fact they're living a mostly reactive life, somehow everything will fall into place as if they were being proactive with their schedule. This is delusional thinking. There is no balance to discover. The reason you won't find balance is because you need to create it for yourself. But in order to create balance, it's vital that all non-essentials be eliminated. Do you really need to be on that weekly call? Do you need to keep up that hobby simply because you've always done it? Does everything you have written down actually belong on your to-do list? Call it essentialism. Call it minimalism. It doesn't matter which label helps you get started. Reduction is the first step to becoming a professional writer. It's all about doing more with less and fighting for your time, even if that means missing out on seemingly urgent matters. The wisdom of life consists in the elimination of non-essentials, wrote Chinese inventor Lin Yutang over five decades ago. Writers have always been worried about distractions, but these days we voluntarily choose to be overworked, overcommitted, and overloaded. Choosing what's important in your life is just as important as the writing itself. In fact, it's nearly the same process. You're looking at limitless options and eliminating everything that doesn't fit. This is true for your writing. This is true for your life. It's the same as choosing the right word, the right sentence, the right lead, or the right title. Mark Twain is known for saying that finding the right word is the difference between the lightning and the lightning bug. In addition to proper words, elimination, or the white space around these words, is just as important. So is the time it takes to write and edit your work. You learn to write by writing, and all writing is really just an effort to try and solve a problem. Creatives argue against a mathematical approach, but at the end of the day, it's about putting words on the page, even if the words end up balled up on the floor at the day's end. If writing is your job, you learn to write every day, just as you would with any other job. As John Grissom famously said, something about writing made me spend large amounts of my free time at my desk. It's dedication to the craft, and with enough dedication, writing becomes a career, not just a hobby. It's difficult to think about longevity or diligence in any aspect of life, but it's necessary, especially with writing. It's necessary to create milestones. It's necessary to chip away at the rock to see what sculpture exists underneath. The more often you sit at your desk, the quicker you enter the flow state. The quicker you enter the flow state, the quicker you get to the real work. But how do you stay dedicated? What about inspiration? What about creative block? There's a quote in the San Antonio Spurs locker room by Jacob Riss. The quote says, When nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not that last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. This is why simply showing up is the first step in becoming a professional writer. It's not sexy or glamorous, but putting in the reps creates results. 
There are floods of transformational programs that promise quick abs, fast routes to skinny, or even time hops to enlightenment, but these are essentially all nonsense. All of these programs fail 99% of participants because the shortcut itself is a lie. Sure, there are best practices and common principles, but shortcuts aren't realistic. You have to fundamentally change your habits from the inside out to find the results you crave. Those who think long-term about their goals succeed because their timeline continues on and on until it reaches the point of success. The success intersection actually arrives faster because you're moving 20 steps in one direction rather than one step in 20 directions. You can't continue to look for shortcuts because they're not there. Likewise, the older you get, the more harm the search for a shortcut can cause. Instead, you need to ask yourself, what makes success inevitable? The only real answer is consistency. But this doesn't mean you can't dream big with your goals. As author Michael Lewis reasons, when you're trying to create a career as a writer, a little delusional thinking goes a long way. You have to be realistic about the process. It's unlikely your first novel will reach the masses generation after generation like The Catcher in the Rye, but it can reach a small following to give you a thousand true fans. That's a start. This number, which is drastically smaller than the bestsellers most people dream of, can give you a professional career, more than just, quote, writing words for money, as the narrator says in The Rum Diary. Again, it's about putting in the reps. Mathematically, writing 500 words per day creates the first draft of a book every 100 days. This gives you another 265 days to research, rewrite, and edit. One year is hardly long-term thinking, especially when you consider the output of someone like J.K. Rowling, who created the Harry Potter series and outlined the bulk of the story before she wrote the first word. Logistically, this makes sense, but why are small steps so hard to follow? Because people are fundamentally bad at judging how long projects will take. Most people have no idea how long it would take to write a book because they romanticize all-nighters and weekend writing furies. This isn't writing. Those Adderall-infested spurts represent word vomit. It's lust. It's wishful thinking. Jack Kerouac wrote On the Road in a Frenzy, they say. Sure, but he also spent years editing it. When I spoke with Jessica Scharzer, the screenwriter of A Simple Favor, she told me, A lot of newer writers take two years to write a screenplay. If you're going to be a professional writer, no one is going to give you two years to write anything. You have to learn to discipline yourself, sit down like it's a real job, inspired or not, and turn out material. This sounds hypocritical maybe, but for professional writers, slow writing actually means fast writing. It drips out one word at a time, but the faucet gets turned on every single day. Like weightlifting or distance running, this is something you can get better at over time, but it's also something that can quickly fade away if you let those muscles start to deteriorate. Bill Gates once said, Most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. There are compound interests and unknown depths that can be acquired with continual reps at the keyboard. The only way to dive to the ocean floor is to start on the surface. The treasure is waiting for you underneath, but it takes time, practice, and patience to get to it. This isn't to say those trial runs aren't impactful in their own right. First attempts help writers find their voices and produce a prolific amount of work in which they can filter out the garbage to uncover something real. Screenwriter Halmari Helander says, I'm a really slow writer. It feels like 90% will not be used and only about 10% will reach the final. This overflow should be expected, but that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. In fact, quite the opposite. Think of a film or book that inspired you. Most of it doesn't stick, but the parts that do are all the more powerful. 
When you're writing, the same thing is true for your own work. Most of it isn't going to be anything great, but you have to wade through the tide to discover what's underneath. Filmmaker and New Hampshire resident Ken Burns spoke about his work as a distillation process. He said, We make maple syrup. It takes 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of maple syrup. That's pretty much what we want to do as documentarians. We are distilling the essence of all that we have collected. You have to collect more than you need. Likewise, Lori Moore says, Life is a field of corn. Literature is the shot glass it distills into. In order to create aged corn whiskey, we need the entire field of corn. We need to defend the time it takes to do the work. This means creating free time on your schedule. This means saying no more often than you say yes. When you say yes, you're actually saying no to everything else in your world, like time at your desk. But when you say yes, you're only saying yes to one thing. If you're going to say yes to one thing, let it be making time at your desk every single day. This middle shift doesn't mean you get to blame everyone else for your lack of writing, though. Instead, you're going to take radical responsibility for your own schedule, for yourself, and from yourself. Defending your time comes down to you as much as anyone else. More than likely, there's something you enjoy that you can give up or at least postpone, to reach your daily milestones. It might be infinite scrolls on social media. It might be excessive amounts of television. If you don't know where the drain is, track your habits for a week and see where you spend a massive amount of time on nothing. Your nothing could be anything, but it's definitely something. Leo Tolstoy says, The difference between real material poison and intellectual poison is that most material poison is disgusting to the taste, but intellectual poison, which takes the form of cheap newspapers or bad books, can unfortunately be attractive. If only Leo could see our unstoppable, dopamine-driven mass media today. But this doesn't mean it's too late. Now is the time to start your journey to becoming a professional writer. Now is the time to figure out what the word professional means to you. It doesn't necessarily mean money, although it should, but it does mean dedication. As the Chinese proverb says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. That's the challenge. The challenge is defending your time to sit in your chair and put words on the page over and over again. The challenge is entering into that struggle because something inside you encourages you to do so, even when you really don't want to put in the time. There are so many other things to do that appear to matter more. And it's a well-known fact that writers with no sense of urgency have the cleanest homes and tidiest desks, thanks to the heightened level of procrastination. It is a struggle, but it's not a bad struggle. It's a struggle in the same way that going to the gym or raising children is a struggle. It's a labor of love. In the book Climbing Everest, George Mallory speaks about his many journeys and struggles up the mountain. This somewhat parallels the writer's journey. The climber says, People ask me, what is the use of climbing Mount Everest? And my answer must be, it is of no use. He clarifies, if you cannot understand that there is something in man which responds to the challenge of this mountain and goes out to meet it, that the struggle is the struggle of life itself, upward and forward upward, then you won't see why we go. It's this journey that creates the flow state. It's this journey that is the delicate yet fierce endurance race onward and upward. It's this journey, one step at a time, that turns an amateur into professional. Writing is a method in which to uncover life's ebbs and flows, reaching for it rather than strangling it, relaxing a little but pursuing a lot, sometimes letting it happen while other times chasing after it. This, of course, isn't to say that consistency doesn't produce more bad days than good. As the true detective character Russ Cole says, life's barely long enough to get good at one thing. 
But this brings us to the second part of the time balance. You must fight to defend your time in the chair, but then fight just as hard to defend your time away from the chair. See more about this idea later in the book. This time in recovery must also be defended. It's within the recovery that the muscles grow. As listed in the Brema Center's The Nine Principles of Harmony, writers need to remember the phrase, no hurry, no pause, meaning the struggle to sit in the chair should be difficult, but the writing shouldn't be difficult. If you sit there and allow yourself to write or do nothing, eventually you will write, move at the rate that satisfies your abilities, but keep moving. If you can't get anything on the page, it means you're putting too much pressure on the work. The words flow, then you filter, not the other way around. You're not going to produce something amazing with every keystroke, but neither is anyone else. Instead, you fight to get to the chair, then let time work with you, not against you. If you're swimming against the current, rethink your path. If you're working against gravity, relax the task. No hurry, no pause. Like reading thousands of books, putting in the work will allow you to make faster connections to the page. Reading encourages faster reading and better comprehension. Writing encourages faster writing and better output. No hurry, no pause. Within the non-formula formula, the non-shortcut is the shortcut. The best way to be a great writer is to become and remain a great writer. Everything else is essentially a zen-like state that you can enter and exit with trained focus. You just need to care about the work and the time it takes to create an environment that encourages great work. As Robert Persick writes in Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, there is no manual that deals with the real business of motorcycle maintenance, the most important aspect of all. Caring about what you are doing is considered either unimportant or taken for granted. The same is true for writing. Persig's flow state comes both as a writer and writer. You see things on a motorcycle in a way that is completely different from any other, he writes. In a car, you're always in a compartment. Everything you see is just more TV. You're a passive observer and is all moving by you boringly in a frame. On a cycle, the frame is gone. You're completely in contact with it all. You're in the scene, not just watching it anymore, and the sense of presence is overwhelming. For those who do not defend the time to be more than a passive observer in life, the result is an endless day-to-day -day shallowness, which the writer calls a monotony that leaves a person wondering years later where all the time went and sorry that it's all gone. The author concludes, the world has no existence whatsoever outside the human imagination. If this is true, then why not enter and exit the writer's imagination as often as you are capable? Why avoid the desk? It's the primary track that leads the theoretical locomotive to every destination you could ever want to visit and many more you never knew existed. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at writerfieldnotes.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.